Life's complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make your journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. I'm Lisa Baker, and I want to welcome you to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's the food, and it's more than the food. On this podcast, we'll talk about the food you put in your mouth and everything else that nourishes you or doesn't, with special attention paid to the problems and opportunities facing women burning out in mission-driven work. Starting with season two, we're going to spend time talking with three types of guests, women experiencing burnout in mission-driven work, conventional and alternative practitioners who serve them, and with others whose lives intersect with them and their organizations, in particular with individuals looking to implement innovative ways to fund the holistic health of these women. My vision is a world in which you can be well while doing good, and my mission is to give you the simple resources and practices and some helpful connections to get there. Let's get started. It's back. This week's episode is brought to you by the Goodbye Burnout 5-Day Challenge. If you missed it in February, it's now available to you again. Listen, as women, we are the nurturers of the world, and we can't do the most good in the world unless we ourselves are healthy. I've distilled almost seven years of health coaching into a super simple system to get you started on your journey back to health, even if your to-do list is a mile long. Want to turn the burnout train around? Let's do it together. It's free and you can get started immediately. Visit isgood slash goodbye burnout. That's is dot gd slash goodbye burnout, all lowercase, to join or click the link in the show notes. See you soon. Hello, I'm here today with Rusty Stahl, who is the president and CEO of Fund the People, which he founded in 2014 and which works to maximize investment in the nonprofit workforce. He completed R&D for Fund the People as a visiting fellow in residence at NYU's Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. And Rusty previously served as founding executive director of Emerging Practitioners in Philanthropy, a national association of young and new foundation professionals. He began his career as a program associate at the Ford Foundation after completing an MA in philanthropic studies at Indiana University. He grew up in Philadelphia and currently lives in Beacon, New York. So welcome Rusty. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being here. And thanks for being our first guy. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure at all. (laughs) But here's the pressure. You know, the first question is always the same. You know, as a health coach, I talk about our food and our lifestyle choices as kale or kryptonite. So tell us, what's your kale? What's the one thing you try to do daily because you just know it's really good for you? Well, the daily part is tough, but I would say during the pandemic, my kale has been running and jogging. Um, And it's something that is really new to my life. I found out that my father started running um, after I was born. I'm the second of two kids. Um, And so it was interesting to me. Now I have two kids um, and my my youngest just turned two. But the pandemic really kind of pushed me to 
just start like walk out my door and start running. <laughs> get out of the house. Get away from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know my brother started running later in life and um, he's a year and a half older than me. So he's going to be 58 this year. And he's now running these crazy like endurance up the mountain races. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not doing that. But not, I'm not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. But there is, there is an outdoor track that's eight minutes away. And oh, it's been beautiful. Perfect. Beacon is in, I mean, I get to run under the sky and look at some mountains. And so oh. my kryptonite, I would say is ice cream. It's mm. just gotta be. Yeah. But the other good thing about the pandemic has been, you know, more targeted shopping, less snacking food. When I'm at my <laughs> just office can't have it around. Out. So, so there's been a lot less ice cream and snacking. Oh, uh, okay. Favorite ice cream. Oh, brand or flavor? Both. Jeez. Uh, well, as a Philly boy, Briars. Mm. Uh, My husband's favorite. <laughs> Briars is great. I haven't had that in so long. They do have a lactose-free, which is nice, but it's hard to get here for some oh. reason. Um, so I like their vanilla bean. Mm, yep that's my um, husband's favorite briars vanilla bean goes on everything <laughs> goes with everything so <laughs> well, i'm a vermont there, girl so you know ben and jerry's is my thing ben and jerry's, but, is, <laughs> ben and jerry's is so great i love it the is. americone oh yes americone dream yeah <laughs> yeah right yeah exactly all right now getting on to the topic at hand so rusty works uh really trying to shift the paradigm of how funders invest in nonprofits. And I want you to just sort of explain to us what it is that you're trying to achieve with Fund the People. Sure. Well, we are, we're sort of a think tank influence advocacy initiative, um, small but mighty. And um, we've been going since 2014. And it's, it's a long game. It's, um, it's tough to influence foundations and philanthropy. It's very decentralized and, you know, power is decentralized and there's very few levers to change things in a hard way versus changing government. For example, if you want to change a law, you know, at the national level, you can do that or you can go to five states and, you know, have you know, pilot initiatives and then, oh, the other states start picking it up and then, you know, they get together and, and their representatives get the federal government to change that law, you know. It's harder with, with the philanthropic community. So, but we are trying to change culture and behavior. Um, essentially, what I hope is that um, we'll see funders begin to prioritize investing in the staff of the organizations that they support. And so a rising tide of what I call talent investing will lift all these boats. Um, and we can talk more about you know, what that means, but I hope that that will also influence individual donors and government and other entities that support nonprofits because government and individual donors are the biggest sources of revenue um, for the nonprofit sector. Foundations are smaller in, by number, but have great influence, outsized influence in terms of, um, you know, if so many nonprofits are following the money, they're following what are our funders wanting? What are the funders we want to get to? What do they want? So it's using that perhaps undue 
influence and power that that those funders have for good by shifting what they say they care about and what and what how they behave what they actually fund right and so what what is the what is the actual the essential problem that you're trying to shift what are they funding now that that's a problem so the problem is a deficit of investment in the nonprofit workforce and what we often talk about is the symptoms of that problem we talk about burnout like you do yes. which is a major symptom or result of the deficit of investment in nonprofit people um, we talk about poorly done executive transitions you know um, we, we we talk about all these symptoms and those those are the dramatic things those are the things that funders say, oh okay we need to be funding executive coaching or executive transition management or um, leadership development because people aren't getting the training and development that they need you know so we end up with these sort of small tactics, small amounts of money going to very narrow tactics rather than um, challenging the real problem, which is this chronic system-wide deficit of investment in the nonprofit workforce. So we did research with, um, it's now called Candid, uh, but part of it used to be the Foundation Center and under both names, they track grants from foundations to nonprofits, how much is going out, what's it funding, and they they code it all, right? They code grants. So you can look at, at the data. And so we looked at that and we looked at everything from leadership, anything related to supporting staff that we could find in the coding. And we found that over 20 years from 1992 to 2011, 1% or less of those foundation grant dollars were going to staff development in the organizations that were receiving those dollars. Um, and that was by, whether you look at it by, you know, the number of grants or the, uh, the size of the dollars. So, and we have a paper about that on our website, um, analyzing that data, which is called less than we thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, and I remember this from my, my nonprofit existence, which was, you know, you would apply for grants and boy, those funders just love to fund programs. You know, programs were their thing. We would love to fund your program. And yes, you know, we can pay the salary of the people working on the program, but we don't want to pay for anybody else in the organization. <laughs> you know? Right, right. I'm, so the problem is both it's praxis, it's the, it's the mindset that then informs the practice of that, right? So there are these myths and mindsets like the, the, the overhead myth that somehow you know, staffing costs and professional development and all the things related to investing in people are this made up thing called overhead, which is not, doesn't exist in the tax code. It doesn't exist in the accounting uh, rules. It doesn't exist. There's no objective measure. There's no objective definition of overhead. So it's this made up thing in the culture of the nonprofit sector and the foundation community um, that is part of the mindset that keeps that like, oh, we want to fund most of our money. We want to go to program. Yeah. Everything else is overhead. And so um, that is one part of the mindset. There's the starvation or the, the scarcity mindset, the zero sum kind of mindset. There's the charity mindset that nonprofits, oh, basically, 
they're just volunteer run and you know they're run by you know nice people who can afford not to be paid because they you know and so we don't need they, they don't deserve to be paid they don't need to be paid um and so we're not gonna pay them well yeah oh <laughs> you know, you're speaking my language this. yeah this is exactly what i was observing is that there's so many women uh, in the nonprofit sector, many of whom are returning to the work world after raising children. And so they're, you know, they're in midlife, their husbands have good jobs, their partners have good jobs, they have benefits, we don't need that. We can work in the nonprofit sector because we're passionate about it. <laughs> and I think that it's sort of, these things feed on each other. Don't totally feed on each other. Yeah. And what happens, and I, I've been on the board of an org like that, where we had an incredible staff of like three people at the time they were all upper middle, upper middle class, um, basically could afford to be underpaid. Um, and what the, the argument I made was, well, we're never going to be able to bring in people who aren't upper middle class onto the staff of this organization if we continue to rely on the staff basically underwriting, yeah. not being paid properly. And when we did you know, change the personnel policies. We did a full review of the person and not, this is not all me, the whole board did this to make a more progressive set uh, and a more robust set of personnel policies and benefits. Um, we gave, you know, raises and we, we raised the floor of wages. Now they have like a dozen staff and a much more diverse staff. And they've been really intentional about um, race and, and other factors in terms of who was on the team. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it's sort of counterintuitive that if you pay your staff more, you can hire more staff. Yeah. But <laughs> I think it's that what happens is the deficit, there's this cycle of this deficit of investment where funders don't ask what the human health of your organization is. They ask the financial health and they ask the strategic or programmatic health, right? Yeah. Those are the things they explore in their due diligence. And they don't think it's their job to ask about the human health. Mm. And what they're doing is sending the signal that is counterproductive, that's damaging. The signal is your staff are overhead. We don't want to fund that. We care about program, like you said. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a, a low, an unnaturally unhealthy, low supply of talent investing. And nonprofit people read those signals, what's on the website, what's in the grant application, what's the data you have to submit in your grant application, what are you reporting on, what's the questions they ask when you sit down for coffee with that funder, all of those things. You read those signals and you go, oh, we better not talk about the burnout happening or the fact that we have vacant positions that we can't fill and so everybody's overloaded um, et cetera. It's, it's sort of the weak underbelly of our organization. And so we're not going to talk about that weakness. We have to show this sort of fake strength. Um, mm, yeah. We can do it. We, we, we can do all these things. We're great. And so nonprofits don't ask for the talent investing they need, which creates a, an artificially low uh, demand. Mm-hmm because everybody is playing this game, everybody's tamping down that weak underbelly and not asking. So there's a, a, so there's this lack of demand, 
which feeds back into this blind spot that funders have, which is, oh, everything's fine, yeah. you know? And so we don't have to explore this human health issue. Um, so that blind spot that funders have is a major problem that nonprofits can help to address, to alleviate mm -hmm. by educating, informing, making it visible. Yeah. Um, and so that's the deficit cycle. Uh, um, and what it leads to is um, something that I read about in a book called The Human Equation um, by Jeffrey Pfeffer at uh, Stanford Business School. In his book, The Human Equation, he writes about this downward performance spiral where you know there's some problem. And he, he's writing about businesses. Like let's say a business loses revenue for some reason, loses income. There's some trauma, financial trauma. So what happens is the business cuts professional development, freezes wages, lays people off, outsources what, all those things to cut the people costs because they're the biggest costs yeah. of any institution. And so that then decreases morale and performance and effectiveness. And so customers are less happy. And so it leads, it spirals back to less revenue. So it's this downward spiral. And I think that's what happens in our sector too. Yeah. The deficit of investment cycle leads to this downward performance spiral. Yeah. And I feel like one of the main things that happened is that, you know, people do get burned out and then you have a program manager or a program director leave. And then when you have to replace that person, you have to spend time getting them up to speed, onboarding them. And then they also don't have all the connection. Like they need to rebuild all the connections that they, you know, their predecessor built to make the program successful. And so you're just, you know, that's going to affect the program, which is what you want the funder to see in our current model, right? <laughs> so it just, as a health coach, I look at this and it makes me crazy because I'm like, how do they not understand that, you know, the individual health of the person who shows up at work has so much to do with how successful that program is, right? Absolutely. And it's yeah. so costly to replace someone and it's so costly to the people who are burning out. You know the human cost as well as the fin organizational financial cost yeah they're both yeah. very high costs to pay yeah. and uh, unfortunately i think a lot of times the business model of the nonprofit sector and the business model that the funders rely upon is a model of exploitation mm -hmm. that essentially like i was saying about that board i was on the model was our budget was based on the fact that we can underpay people because yeah. they could afford, those people could afford to work for lesser right. benefits and wages. Yeah. And in many cases, that means that you're not actually bringing people in who are from the community that's being helped. And then you have this whole, like the privilege trying to come in and save the underprivileged. You know, it's just, it's icky. It's icky. And yeah. it, 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 it kills the equity and inclusion agenda, yes. which is one, one of the things we've been trying to say is that the movement for racial equity in organizations in the nonprofit sector, the movement for diversity, equity, and inclusion can't really succeed without talent investing. Yeah. And talent investing can't really succeed without racial equity, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, wh yeah. whichever framing you want to use. Right. It's so, it's so interconnected. It's so tangled. Yeah. So, from your perspective, what are a few things that nonprofits can do uh, 
if they're thinking about these things and thinking, you know, we really need to support our staff, not just not just leadership and not just upper level management, but you know, we really need to focus on all, our entire staff. What what can a nonprofit do to to start working on this problem? So I think it's so important that you know funders have the 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 power, the positional power to change um, these incentives and where money goes, how it's deployed. And, and shaped, but nonprofits have so much power to influence funders. And that's what nonprofit folks have to realize is that if enough nonprofits start coming to them and saying, this is a real issue, the good funders will listen and respond. Now, I'm not saying all the funders are excellent at doing this and some of them you know, will stubbornly resist um, it's not how we've done things. <laughs> it's not, that's not our job. But, um, but a lot of, there are a lot of good people inside foundations who are trying to make things better and who will be and want to be champions for the organizations they support. They, yeah. they will go to the mat for them. They, and so what I think nonprofits can do is try to shift you know, this, the narrative internally and the culture and start when they're doing strategic planning or whatever their guiding sort of framework or roadmap or document is, make sure that there is at least one goal in there, big goal around staffing, supporting the staff. You can include volunteers in the board too, as part of your team but developing and supporting your people mm -hmm. in order, in a way that advances your mission and the other goals in your plan. Right. I think that's where it should start because then that can translate into more specific objectives and into the budget of the organization. Um, okay, our big hairy audacious goal here is to support and develop our staff in this way to advance our goals and our mission so how does that translate into what we need to do for people? And that might, I think often what we need and don't get is the anonymous opportunity to survey everyone in the organization from top to bottom, including the unpaid interns or the unpaid employees um, all the way up to the top to really understand because I think often executive director people in the C-suite don't hear the grumblings. They don't know what the most junior people or the line staff out there, if it's a social service agency, what the social workers or the home health aides are really feeling or thinking or experiencing. So really top to bottom, aggregated anonymous data about the human health status of the organization. Yeah. And not just once, but that's got to be something that, you know, you continue to, to take the pulse of. Right. And then taking that into account as you build out your budget and your, your objectives under this big, hairy, audacious goal of supporting and developing your staff. Then I think you can go to your funders and say, listen, part of our plan and part of our culture, the way we want to accomplish our mission is by supporting and developing our staff to do that. And here's how it relates to our budget. And so when you give us program support or when you give us general operating support or when you give us capacity building support, whatever it is, um, we want you to know that, that this is one of our strengths as an mm. organization is that we care about our team mm. and we invest in them. And yeah. we, we would like to see you co-invest with us 
in our staff. Right. So there's a lot more power there than a lot of people in the nonprofit sector think they have. I think so. I think so. And we can come from a place of strength rather than it being our weak underbelly. We can say, you know what? (laughs) We've been exploiting our staff for too long and you've been part of that funders. And so we're changing that. And here's how we're proactively changing that. You know, won't you join us? Yeah. um, So that you can come from an asset based place rather Mm. than it, you know, Oh, poor us. Uh, you were going to yeah. hide this. Weakness. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that reframe. Yeah. And I found fun the people um, in 2019. I think I mentioned this to you uh, when we were messaging back and forth. I was actually doing right. a pitch competition and I was, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, actually. I was pitching a program that I do, which is uh, providing health coaching to women in nonprofits and women burning out in nonprofits. And I was pitching this because I wanted to provide funding. I wanted to actually be able to provide scholarships. Now I'm not a nonprofit, but I went up and I, you know, I created this pitch and I, I pitched it and it was just so funny. The outcome was the two winners were a mobile bartending service and a pastry chef. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're obviously not ready to talk about health coaching. <laughs> But I, you know, when, when I, it's just such a great story. But what I what I loved was as I was doing the research for this pitch, um, I spoke to a lot of local funders, community foundations, people like that. And I was actually really struck by how many of them were very open to this idea and said, you know, originally I was thinking, well, I have all this grant writing experience. I could go into an organization, help them write a grant, get this sort of work funded, right? And they're like, oh, no, no, that's too much work. (laughs) The funders were actually the ones saying, you know, if you could get a group of our current grantees in the area together who are interested in this, they just need to come to us and say, hey, we want to invest in our people. And we would find a way to make that happen. And I just thought, wow, that is is not the message that we get when we're working in the nonprofit world. Right. I mean, too often, yeah, too often nonprofit folks are chasing the money instead of having the money chase them. Yeah. And we're just going, oh, who's got an RFP, you know, request for proposals out there and then following the letter of the mm-hmm. propo- of the RFP, like it's the law. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, my thing is you got to just go meet, but I mean, now it's hard with the yes. pandemic, <laughs> but but in general, and you can still do it. You can still do it. Hey, I'd like to have a coffee Zoom date with you. Yep. It's hard as hell, but you just got to call around to funders and say, can I have a 15 to 20 minute meeting with you? Not to ask you for money, but to t- make sure you know about our organization and what we're doing and to get your advice or thoughts because mm-hmm. you fund in our a- issue area. What are you seeing in the sector? What are you seeing in the field? I want you to make, I want to make sure you know who we are. And if there's an alignment, great. If there's not, at least you know who we are. And then, and if there's not a real, if there's an alignment, they'll say, hey, you should submit a proposal or let's talk again. If there's not an alignment, you can say, is there another funder out there who you know, who you could introduce me to? Yeah. So it's all about kind of getting, getting, building those relationships and building the awareness in the funding community because then the funders talk to each other. It's like, oh yeah, I also met with that person. Oh yeah, they seem great, blah, blah, blah. And so it's kind of, eventually you get, I mean, uh, Kim Klein, the the fundraising, uh, grassroots fundraising uh, author and trainer, she says, 
one thing I remember from her books, she says, you know, every no gets you closer to yes. So you want to go get a lot of no's to get you closer to that. Yeah. To get you to the right place. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea that there needs to be, it needs to be coming from initiative. It needs to be a proactive uh, approach rather than reactive, looking for that RFP, where's the money, let's chase that. But really thinking about this is who we are. Exactly. This is who we are. Yeah. And these are our our goals in terms of taking care of our staff. So let's flip it and talk a little bit about what you think um, funders can do to shift this paradigm from from programs over people to the other way. And, you know, I'm thinking specifically about like Kathy Rich at Ford Foundation, the the BUILD program, things like that. What can funders be doing? So, you know, back to my deficit of investment, my investment deficit cycle model, you know, funders are positioned to shift this whole lack of investment, shift this um, downward performance spiral that mm-hmm. results from the uh, investment deficit. And so part of it is is ending their own blind spot and starting to ask the questions of grantees, prospective grantees, past grantees, you know, folks in the field um, to start educating themselves about the human health um, or lack thereof <laughs> in organizations and um, starting to understand, well, how, how do we help or hurt in this situation? And I think funders have to, you know, think about that, the, what doctors, that, that oath, um, the Hippocratic oath, do no yes. harm. How can, I mean, that's, a, that's an ethical commitment. Yeah. Um, and if funders are gonna see themselves as professionals or effective, donors um, and funders, um, they ought to be making sure they're doing no harm. Mm. And part of doing no harm (laughs) is not supporting um, and reinforcing a business model based on exploitation that burns people out and tosses them out. So so I think what funders can do is, is come from a place of support, a stance of support, because if they start asking questions, well, how much are you paying people? You know, is it a living wage? Is it livable in your region? Um, do you provide health insurance? Do you, do you offer um, uh, retirement account, you know, savings and, yeah. and contribute toward those to incentivize staff to save? If your funder starts asking you those things, it could be scary, right? It could be like, oh, we don't do those things. Again, it's this fear factor of, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, we're not doing that. And um, they may defund us or not fund us if we tell them. So yeah. if funders can start those, the, those questions by setting up you know, a zone of trust or just by say, asserting a stance of support, yeah. I want to ask you some tough questions about staffing issues, you know, but not from a place where it's punitive. I don't want to punish you. I, I'm not going to judge your organization for funding based on these. I want to. I'm coming at this to understand and to see if our funding, if we fund you, if our funding could help you mm-hmm. address the human health of your team. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kind of, I think it's it's a nuanced thing, but trying to create, you know, that zone of, of this is okay. You can, you know. 
and honestly, most funders can kind of read the BS anyway. That's that's their job. And so if you're, I, <laughs> I noticed that nonprofit app is listed on on fund the people. I'm like, oh yeah, that he just really breaks stuff down. Like, okay, nonprofit AF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, this is what a grant proposal would sound like if we were really telling the truth, right? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but so, it does I mean, seem like there is that level of BS and there is that distrust from both sides, maybe, that yes. that's what needs to be broken through. That safe space needs to be created. Yeah, and not every funder is good at it. Yeah. Um, and not every nonprofit fundraiser is good at that. And it's yeah. scary. There's fear, there's distrust, right? Um, yeah. And and all of those things lead to this non-supportive status mm -hmm. quo we have. So, you know, it's hard to build trust in a quick, in a, what can be a very transaction, transactional process of trying to raise money from an institution. Yeah. But I think funders, so I think funders can try to take that supportive stance and right backing up from just interacting with grantees they can do the same thing I talked about that grantees could do. And from a food, a food analogy that I use, since this show is a lot about health, you know, eating, <laughs> season one, um, bake it in, bake it mm. into what I was talking about with your strategic plan, your budget. Um, so funders can bake it in to how they do their work as well. They can say, Hey board, <laughs> Hey, Hey board of trustees, you know, we understand that part of how non organizations thrive is by supporting and developing their their staff yeah that is, and and let's make that part of our strategy of how we do our work we care about women's rights or we fund in um, I don't know food food systems whatever it is whatever the field is there's a bunch of people who work in that field organizations are made of people we fund organizations organizations can't work if their people aren't working yeah. So let's make sure that the 1,500 people who work in our 20 grantees, you know, have a living wage right. or whatever, you know, yeah. are, are being taken care of and that our dollars are helping to make sure that happens and our influence is helping mm. to make sure that happens. Yeah, so, I love that bake it in. It, it's, it's, it makes me think of, you know, you, you can bake it in, but you can also think about it as sneaking the kale in, right? You can, <laughs> you can it sneak it into the, the soup and the stew and the smoothie. In fact, I've got a great thing, resource to share with your, your listeners. It's right on. I can't believe it, actually. <laughs> so I, I posted a blog, po a guest blog post at, on the, the blog of the Center for Effective Philanthropy. Yes, I saw that. You saw that? And <laughs> I it, loved it, it, yeah. Okay, so it's about, you know, if funding is a smoothie, you know, and they, they, they were doing a series of blog posts on general operating support. And... Um, so they asked me to write about general operating support as it relates to these staffing issues. So I said, everybody wants multi-year general op support. I want that, you know, for my organization, everybody wants it, but talent investing is the kale. You can, you can add, sneak into your smoothie. <laughs> And uh, it, it's true, right? Yeah, and I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes because that was such a great blog post. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, it's just, I don't know. I must've been inspired by your question. Maybe in that was it, yeah. <laughs> well, so we're, we're, we've circled all the way back to Kale and I just wanted to ask <laughs> you in closing, you know, what's coming up at Fund the People? What can you tell us about? And, you know, tell us how to find you and what's up next? 
Yeah. Well, we, as you know, we have this podcast we launched um, in fall of 2020. It's called Fun to People, a podcast with Rusty Stahl. A little embarrassing, the name, but, um, but it is with me, your host. <laughs> your host <laughs> and every time I hear the podcast and I listen to just just your intro I'm like yes 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 <laughs> thanks wow thank you um I I was so excited when you left a review I was like oh my god someone actually reviewed us <laughs> I know it's very exciting isn't it <laughs> yes yes it was really great so I so appreciated that um so we have that in season two will be coming out um, in late March 2021. Um, and we'll be, uh, the season one focused on this problem of the deficit of investment in the nonprofit workforce. Um, although we also had folks who are doing important change um, work on that. So we talked about the problem and, and to some extent the solution, but season two will focus more on what is the meaning of talent investing, both, both the um, attitude and the practice of it. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, it'll be fun to shift from kind of the doom and gloom of the problem into uh, a sol solutions-oriented discussion. Yeah. Um, and then we're um, we're going to be coming out in the spring or summer with an online course that folks can take um, to really take this idea of talent investing, assess the problem in their institutions as it manifests, and then begin building out their own action plan. So this oh. is aimed at at nonprofits or at funders or both? Both. Both. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And we'll we'll be Maybe talking. Maybe it'll about... become this beautiful safe space where people can come together. I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And so we'll we'll be weaving in racial equity, social justice, um, and th topics that funders love to talk about, like how do you evaluate the return on investment of talent investing? Yeah. So we'll be trying to help equip people with. Um, how this issue connects with other critical issues in the field. Great. Excellent. Good. Yeah, so, yeah, and that'll just, all be on the, the fund, the people website, there'll be links to that. Yep. Yeah. The podcast is up now. Folks can get the episodes. We just, um, Oh, and you we, snuck one in too. You snuck one in. We snuck one uh, in on inauguration day. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. I was trying Little to remember bonus. when that was. I knew it was January. I was like, yeah, something. <laughs> We got um, the president of Independent Sector, which kind of rep one of the main groups that represents the nonprofit world on Capitol Hill and yeah. in the in Washington, um, to talk about. They actually did a memo to the Biden transition team about um, what how the sector, the nonprofit world, could work with and help with rebuilding, you know, our world, our country. Yeah. Um, but also what the nonprofit sector needs from the White House and the executive branch of the US government. Yeah. And it's a great memo. I had a chance to be on a group of, I don't know, 20 or 30 reviewers um, in advance of it being finalized. And I was really excited that um, the opportunity, the Biden team actually invited that memo. And yeah. we'll see, I mean, there's a lot of high priority issues going on yeah. For the country right now. But the yeah, that was very exciting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's what the um that's what that bonus episode was on. Yes. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Rusty. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>
Please note that any suggestions provided on this show are not meant to replace medical advice, and the opinions of the guests on this show are their own. And Simply Health Coaching and Elizabeth A. Baker, LLC, neither endorse nor take responsibility for statements made by guests. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments. And let me know who else you want to hear from on the topic of being well while doing good. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor, as well as through some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in your listening app so you never miss an episode. Love the podcast? You can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. If you'd like to know more about my work, visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com. As always, the link is in the show notes.